0: This is The Crucible, the JRTC experience. Good afternoon from the State Department's Brussels Media. Greetings
1: from the U.S. Department of State's Asia Pacific Media.
0: Today we are very pleased to be joined.
2: Often in remote or challenging locations, these elections are an inspiring example Good afternoon of the from the, Department Department to everyone from the I welcome our participants logging in. To play a critical role in advancing prosperity, democracy, and stability across the Indo-Pacific.
0: This is where we discuss warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi. I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center, and thanks for joining us for another episode of The Crucible, the JRTC Experience. And so today, we're very fortunate to be uh, joined by the leadership of the uh, 2nd Fab Brigade, uh, Colonel Clark and Sergeant Major Fedorison. So uh, Colonel Clark, would you introduce yourself? Tell us where you're from, what you're about.
3: Yeah, so first, uh, thanks for having us. Uh, I think it's great to always tell the Army story. Uh, So I'm from a small town in upstate New York. So I'm not a city kid. Uh, joined what, the what town? So it's called Pulaski. So if you know where Fort Drum is, yes. about a 45 minutes south, salmon fishing capital of the world.
0: Okay, just trying to gauge how much snowfall you get there. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's it, there's like three feet there right now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, grew up in a small town. Uh, went off to college, uh, joined ROTC, the Ohio State uh, Brigade or Battalion. Nice. And then. Uh, commissioned an MP in 98. And small little story, like I joined the MPs because I didn't want to walk
1: everywhere right. I went.
3: And somehow I convinced myself to go Special Forces. And you do so a lot of walking, right? TO walk a lot yeah. more. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so TO do
0: special walking.
3: TO do special walking, yeah. So, uh, so you had transitioned transition to Special Forces or Special Ops uh, in 2001, just after 9-11. We were actually the first class after 9-11. Uh, and so have been doing that ever since uh, commanded up to uh, an SF battalion command and then I got picked up for a garrison command so I just came out of garrison command about a month ago and on the 30th of June so I've been in command for 23 whole days now of the second SFAP. Awesome
0: and then you know fun fact uh, Colonel Clark and I served together in Gosney in 2013 uh, working together so really cool to get to see you again thanks so much for being here. Yep. And, um, yeah, probably, probably know a fair number of people that were in your, uh, Q course uh, class as well. I was it uh, signed in, uh, uh, then Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty in, uh, in 2001, so cool. Sergeant Major?
1: So, sir, Sergeant Major Paul Fedorsen, uh, joined the U.S. military from, Broome, uh, Blooming Grove, Pennsylvania, which is incredibly small. So most folks reference Scranton from the office. Yeah. (laughs) Just bang bang a hard right. Hard right. (laughs) Continue for about 30 miles. Uh, Started out in the National Guard. I did the split op thing. Joined uh, my junior year of high school. What kind of National Guard unit were you in? So I was in second 103rd armor of uh, Pennsylvania Army National Guard. And what MOS were you? I was a paralegal. You were a paralegal. I absolutely was. All
0: right. My my nephew started out in the Army as a paralegal in the Virginia Guard. Okay. So, I'm sorry.
1: Interrupted. That, all good, sir. So, uh, went through basic AIT, went back to my unit, uh, realized I really loved the Army thing and that I probably wasn't the best paralegal. I loved the, the wood side of it more. So, I entered active duty, uh, reclassed to infantry, so I got to do basic training in AIT twice. It's a hell of an experience. I recommend it for everybody. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, the majority of my career has been uh, reconnaissance, and then I uh, spent some time as a OCT. Did a a garrison sergeant major gig, and then came to second f Where uh, we we're, we're all kind of you've been in the Army sergeant major. So I've been Fort Moore, Korea, Fort Drum, Fort Moore, Fort Knox, Germany twice, El Paso, Fort Irwin. I've gotten to bounce around all over the place, and that's. Been all over the
0: place. Um, so, you know, contrary to popular belief, although he looks like an action figure, he didn't come in the box. He actually got brought up for the beginning. Uh, so really cool, and uh, thanks for being here. Um, and, uh, and where are you headed next, Sergeant Major? So I'll be going to Grafabir, Germany, sir. Okay. 7th Army Training Command. All right, so he's going to get to do some CTC stuff out there and then a lot of other great stuff for the nation and, and really put into practice, I think, probably a fair bit of what you've learned in this job. Yes, sir. Uh, So awesome. Um, All right, so tell me a little bit about the the rotation.
3: So uh, it's kind of the first of its kind for an SFAB. Uh, So we're, to quote the CG, we're the pilot uh, for this episode. Uh, But we're looking at how to employ SFABs in a low uh, or LISCO environment. So usually we so right now we span the spectrum of from competition to conflict uh, but we came into this knowing we're going into a conflict environment and so to try to do that when we spend majority of our time doing more competition stuff it was a great learning opportunity for our team so we came out here for an objective how do we execute advisory teams uh, an advisory battalion in a lisco environment
0: and they fought with a, a great outfit, the uh, 404th, uh, 401st South Torbians. South Torbians, yeah. Um, which there's some characters in that brigade, as I think we all saw out there. But uh, yeah, great experience coming in. And um, we can talk a little bit more about the train objectives. And Sergeant Major, what, what were sort of your expectations um, of, of what what this would be like for, for the, the uh, force packages that participated?
1: So, so the force package was giving Enough information to get them out the door, but enough to leave it ambiguous as far as what they're going to be required to do. So they did a deliberate outload from Fort Liberty to Alexandria and then immediately <laughs> were, were met with their partner force who was. Who was
0: eager to get them into the fight, Eager right away. to get
1: them into the fight because the uh, scenario for them was, you know, South Torbia had been teetering in a, a crisis area, had just moved into conflict with their, uh, their North Caribbean partners. And then you know, they, they met them there. It was like, hey, we're glad to, glad to see you, but time's up. Let's do this.
0: What, what did, you know, for either one of you, what did you think was going to be um, maybe the, the greatest friction to overcome for those force packages
3: coming into it? Well, I think maybe two things, uh, mindset. Um, If you're used to doing things one way, um, whether it's a coin operation or a competition operation, then you go into that large-scale conflict, that's a different switch. And so if you're designed or thinking you're going one way, but in reality you go a different way, that can throw some, some challenges along the way. And then just working with partners, you know, we think working with partners is easy, but we have our way of doing business, and the partners have their way of doing business. So we, if we try to push our agenda into their process, it may be met with resistance. So we have to learn how they do things and see if there are some parts of our military decision-making process that we can inject and maybe make it a little bit better, or a little bit different for them to understand. But at the end of the day, they have to own that process, because if we are not there, they're going to go back to a way they do business. So I think those two things, yeah. in my opinion, um, so to work through.
0: What what did you expect there to be you know, friction with?
3: So so part of the friction is
1: just team internal friction. Our teams are incredibly diverse. Um, it's like no formation you, you've ever been a part of at the platoon or below level. Like, it's roughly 40% uh, maneuver background and then 60% low-density background. So you have a you know, difference between people that are uh, kind of platform based, process based and procedure based and they all come in with kind of a different outlook on life. So then working through the wickets on that. But then, you know, also you have a lot of, you know, extremely talented sergeants, staff, sergeants, and sergeant first classes that, you know, may have had limited to no staff experience that are now trying to plan in advance of their partner force, anticipate their requirements, and then advise them yeah. On, on what they need to account for.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, you know, the analogy when I was listening to some of, of what, some of the updates that we got is, um, you know, the SVAB, uh, the force package teams, you know, we're really asking them to be exceptional jugglers and exceptional uni- unicycle riders. And then really in practice in LISCO, were asking them to juggle while riding a unicycle at right. the same time. And um, I thought, it for me, it, you know, my, my anticipated friction coming in was going to be uh, the communications. Um, and actually, that turned out really not to be the case. It was really able to kind of work. There were some, but they were able to work through it uh, pretty quickly uh, to not only be able to communicate uh, laterally, uh, but also up with the Twenty First Airborne Division, and I was pretty impressed with how quickly they kind of worked through uh, the friction that we had. Uh, to kind of your comment, I, I was really impressed with how self-aware the unit was coming in. Like they were like, "Hey, we're getting ready to jump into deep water, and like we're pretty good at, at swimming, but used to having a float when it when it came to large-scale combat operations." And I think that really benefited them. This, you know, some of it chalked up to the maturity of leaders. The ability to to know what we don't know um, or are less comfortable with, and I thought that part of it was really interesting to watch the growth over time. You know, the other thing that was kind of cool was, the, you know, the South Torbians the role played weren't the worst brigade you know in the world either. And did that dynamic uh, affect or surprise some of uh, you know your your soldiers and leaders?
1: So I I think they were definitely surprised. And uh, we we purposely sought out extremely talented and high quality role players because you're gonna need to meet your partner force where they're at. And if you look at the United States partners, we've got the full range of everybody where it's highly tactically and technically proficient, but may lack access to high end systems in in a quantity that can make a a massive impact on the battlefield so they, they need to be self-aware, know where their partner's at, do a rapid assessment, and then, you know, am I here to advise, or am I here to support and liaise and get them access to the things that they need?
0: Yeah, and I think we were pretty, in this rotation, more towards the uh, liaise and support, <laughs> yes. some advise with some niche things. You know, we did some mm-hmm. air assaults where there was, we, we pulled on a little bit more tactical uh, technical expertise to advise, but most of it really, you know, very competent force. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um what what from your perspective, you know, what were your expectations of JRTC and then you know what do you feel like you got from JRTC?
3: <laughs> so my last experience with JRTC was ten years ago, right? But I was in yeah. the box. <laughs>
0: right. Um you know. I, Two two Yelp uh, Yelp or two stars in the Yelp review. That's
3: right. Well, maybe one and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but on the other side, right, coming out uh, as a senior trainer for the for the guys going through the rotation, um, very surprised on the amount of backside support it takes to run a unit through the rotation, um, and us being part of that, we had our X con. Uh, the 21st was our high con, and there's a couple layers in between there. We had our pucksters. Right, And then the products that we get from uh, the JRTC, JRTC team, just phenomenal. Um, now, I know that guys out on the ground probably didn't feel that way, right? Um, and you would think that they're the 100% of the effort, but I think they're close to the 50% effort, and I think there's a little bit more effort on the backside support. So very, very good to see the professionalism on the backside and how that really makes the rotation that much better and that much more realistic. And, you know, you can actually see if they're doing real well, you can kind of turn that temperature up on them a little bit and yeah. give them some more stresses. Or if they're struggling with something, you can turn it down a little bit so they can get to that learning point they need to get before you go to the next evolution. So I thought that was pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the, um, that part of it, the ability of the rheostat to turn it up and down, you know, if it really is hurting here for you, either we're having a really hard time in the rotation or we're actually having a really good rotation. Mm. Um, because, I mean, that's, you know, we, we're going to keep putting weight on the bar until somebody hits, you know, max rep. Uh, and uh, that part was, was different for us. I mean, having, having a different kind of unit and interacting with the OCTs that your team brought down, um, you know, I learned a lot from it. it it's, uh, you know, every rotation we end up uh, almost always have uh, an ally or partner here with a team from uh, the SFABs. Uh, and so, you know, a bigger understanding of how that would tie in uh, was was helpful for me and, and a little bit of framing, maybe how we can maybe some folks have been getting over on us and we need to dial up the uh, uh,
1: the real style a little bit. What about your perspective, Sergeant Major? So I, I think that one of the great parts here is it's multi echelon and you have to account for adjacent units, where even though we weren't on the actual terrain with the 29th, with 21st Airborne. You still have to account for them. If there's fires crossing boundaries, you have to, you have to make necessary coordinations. So it, it forced our advisors to think beyond the end of the, their nose and to look left and right. And you know, hey, what, what am I doing that's impacting somebody else? Or what is someone else doing that impacts me? So it's it's a living scenario. It's not like a check the box. It's action, reaction, counteraction continuously and I think the, the advisors are better for it.
0: No and I you know I'm excited as we continue to develop this out of what this will be like, you know, with other brigades coming mm-hmm. here and increase the interaction with the I mean we had we did have adjacent unit interaction, but I think the the opportunity is there's even more going forward. Um, Hey, so, you know, really impressed uh, with the folks that I got to meet from your team out in the fight. You know, I thought, I thought both battalion commanders were, were really, really impressive and really introspective about things. Tell me a little bit about the, the kind of people that you're trying to bring to the So
1: So what we're looking for, sir, is self-starting, self-policing, and competent experts in their craft that are willing to admit that they probably don't have all the answers and, and be willing to look to their left and right and you know, be part of a, a larger team and, and those that wanna work around people that are you know, exactly what I just described, because it is a, a small element. So you will have, you may be a, a logistician by trade, but your chances are you're probably the alternate medic yeah. or you know, the alternate serving as the, the protection
3: element.
0: And everybody's building pallets and everybody's putting up, up that's right. um, putting up camo nets. Yeah. You know,
1: everyone's putting uh, up camo nets.
3: Everyone's, to quote the, the All Blacks, everyone's sweeping the shed, right? right. Yeah. Because like, uh, if, if not, it's not going to get done. Man, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The battalion's sergeant
1: major was driving one of the homies. Yeah. That's, that's...
3: What about from your perspective? So, uh, you said it really yeah, well. yeah, no. <laughs> which is why I'll for the answer, right? Yeah. So the uh, so majority of our formation, our second time At that position so all the battalion commanders have already been a battalion commander in their field so infantry or armor um and same thing with the SAR majors um, and and the captains the majors are all you know two-time offenders uh really really great for those captains right like you can choose between going to different places but you can also command a a team again right and and with the majors you're like battalion battalion three or brigade three and xo but now you can go be a company commander again as a major, which is kind of cool as well, right? Uh, and then to go do that advising stuff for the small unit team. So I think on the officer side of the house, looking for all the same pedigree that Sergeant Major lined out, right? Team player, hard worker, You know, may, not, may have a lot of skills, but may not know all the answers. You're looking for that next, that next uh, ridge line to get on. Um, but I think it's another good opportunity to have a little bit more fun uh, in your career as well.
0: I think we're, we got the same audience. I would tell you, you know, if you're a major, you have enough time to come to a CTC, do a year or two, and then turn around and go to an svab too. We don't talk about that, but we
1: do. And having done both, yeah. I would recommend that everyone pursues one or the other. Yeah. like By far the most beneficial jobs I've had in my career to set me up for the next one
0: yeah no I certainly learned a ton you know doing the OCT thing and, and absolutely see you know and the General, uh, General Hill and I talked a fair bit too about the this transition of large-scale combat operations and um, you know the opportunity. I was impressed with your team's um, you know really eagerness to to close gaps and holes because we all have I mean as, as the Army's making this transition um, but really having to think about large-scale combat operations um if you're going to liaise and enable um you know a, a partner or an ally to be able to do it so i mean everybody's having to go to school on this right. uh, and learn um you know and one thing i'd like to ask you and you know your experience uh command you know being a team leader uh, commanding an aob uh, commanding a battalion how is this different than Special Forces?
3: Well, first, there's a lot of similarities, right? Yeah. So, you, so you have the captain, who's the the advisory team leader, who is advising a battalion commander, right, of another foreign uh, organization. So very similar in that dynamic as a team leader. You know, ironically, uh, we're aligned to Africa, second SFAB's aligned to Africa. My first gig as a team leader was I went to Africa. and. Uh, we had to work our way into the G base with our partners, which is not unlike what some of these guys had to do during this rotation, and then had to, had to break bread and, and build trust with that uh, battalion commander, you know, thousands of miles away. And so they're doing the same exact kind of concept. The, I would say the differences are, uh, one, one uh, there's different authorities for special operations and the SFAB, uh, and then the team dynamic is a little bit different. So where we, part of our pipeline is we go through selection phase, if you make it, then you go to the qualification course, and you get trained in your MOS. And everyone, every of those MOS's have a second and third, fourth type of job they got to do, right? So you're the combo guy, but you're also something else on the team, right? So, you know, for instance, like if you're the medic, you're also the S1. If you're the 18 Charlie demolitions guy, you're also the the property book guy, right? So everyone's got different jobs to have. And you can, I'm not gonna say you can plug and play, but if you take an 18 echo from one team and put him on another one, he knows his job, he knows what he needs to do. Um, Here, we break it down into different sections of training, right, so you have your foundational training, your collective training, and then your rotation. And so, once we get to the collection phase, or collective training phase, it's not good to take someone from another team and put them in there to to fill that gap. Or you could, if you're on an ODA, because you know what job you're gonna take. Um, and and the MOSs are much more diversified on an SFAB as well. Yeah. Um, and so, if we don't, you know, on, on an ODA, if you don't have that, you probably get backfilled with it, right? On here, you got to learn that job. You know, if if we don't have a logistician, someone on that team needs to learn how to do the logisticians job. If you don't have a artillery or filler trailer guy, you got to learn how to do that job, right? You're going to meet a a team leader here, which is really the team sergeant, but she's filling the role as a team sergeant and as a team leader, right? And you, so you got to fill those gaps, and they did a re- really good job filling those gaps. So, um, And then the, you know, the long-term piece is on an SFAB, once you, I'll say, let's say, graduate from the SFAB team, right, you, you're a captain, you get promoted to major, you're going to go to CGSC, you're going go to go back first. to a BCT, and then you can come back to the SFAB after your KD complete as a, as a major. In, in soft organizations, you're going to pretty much stay in that soft organization your entire career, right? Yeah. So there's 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 a lot of similarities. So like the partner side of the house is very very similar. Um, you're training your partner force, um, and you're working in a small team dynamic, and those are those are you know really great things to do.
0: Um, okay, you know how you know we're doing large scale combat operations here we've got folks that have come from conventional units they they come serve in an Sfab they're going to go back to conventional units H- help you know help our, our audience out there w- you know where do we see the sfabs in large scale combat operations and in competition right so for many people the middle model is is probably what we were doing in Iraq and Afghanistan or you know hey you know w- we're going to go somewhere we're gonna run some training for a unit? How, what do we see this looking like in, in, in conflict?
3: OK. Right. So you looked at me, when we start? I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> OK, day. go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: So, so I think it could be the, the entire spectrum of things, sir. So if we're there for the initial transition to conflict and it's a multinational force, you could serve as that LNO element to the, the US force to tie in with US intelligence fire systems and and log network uh if it's after the point of contact you may be working to rebuild combat power and serving in a a true training and advisory and capacity building operation but the the benefit of the s feb is it it is built just for that and it's not requiring brigades to you know disaggregate like we were doing a couple years ago to build those teams out of hide so that preserves the brigades for the the larger effort
0: I mean, it's easy to imagine. Here we are in South Torbia before conflict. Uh, you know, the advisory team here with uh, the 401st helping them build proficiency and readiness. And then the war starts, and based off national policy towards South Torbia, uh, our fictional country here. You know that. They continuing on, going from training into into operations to be able to enable, uh, particularly the ISR fire sustainment uh, those capabilities. Um, so I- any any big takeaways, you know, from this rotation, sort of going forward, uh, that that you want listeners to to take with them.
3: Go ahead. Well, I'll say just lean into it, yeah. right? I mean. I think there's uh, this weird stigma. You know, I was at NTC for two years. It's a weird stigma about every time a rotation comes through there, they really don't want to go, and then they leave really glad they did, right? So just lean into it. You know, it's it's good, valuable training, and you want to get dirty and bloody at a CTC so you don't have to get as dirty or bloody when you go to large-scale combat, right? So, um, but I think I think for us, it's, it's a good way for us to see ourselves, right? We've got we've got now a whole list of things that we've done well and a list of things we didn't do so well on. And now we can focus on those things to make it, one, better for us. But more importantly, we've got four other SVABs out there. Make it better for them, too, Feeding right? And, yeah. So you continue to feed the loop to make it better every single time. Um, so that's that's kind of what I would take away from that, just lean into it. So,
1: mate. so and I think for anyone that's coming out here, whether you're coming out here as an SVAB advisor or you know, a a member of a brigade combat team, if, if you're comfortable, you're probably missing something. So seek to learn, seek to understand. You know, this is the place to, to kind of push the envelope and, and test theories where... Yeah, plan- hypothesis, right? You could get rekeyed or God-gunned back to life where yeah. that doesn't exist later on.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I, I think that's true for OCTs too. I mean, I think it's like the minute that you're comfortable here, that you think you got all the answers you're probably missing an opportunity to be learning. Yes, um, it, you know, it's crazy. I mean, I, I got five as a player. I think I'm on 31 as an OCT, and every single month I'm learning something new here. Um, I think that's phenomenal advice. Um, okay, I'm gonna give you all the last word. Uh, anything you wanna kinda of tell our audience out there, just, you know, Army life and, and career experience, uh, two, you know, awesome leaders with a ton of experience, uh, anything you wanna share with them? <sighs>
3: It goes by fast, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> yeah, once ten years th- ago we were one, hanging out and gossiping. Yeah, once upon a time, I had more hair and uh, less right. wrinkles, right? Um, but I, I mean, I, I love the Army life, right? Um, you can have a lot of fun in it. Um, it's a, it's a great career with great benefits. And what I tell people is, if you join the Army as an infantryman, and you don't want to be an infantryman. You've got opportunities to change what you, what you do, yeah. right? And if if you don't like that job, you can change it again, right? So there's a lot of different things to do in the army, Um, and so it's almost like create your own adventure. This is my fourth different position, right? As an MP, I was an SF guy, I was a garrison commander, I had a really strange garrison CSM, you know. Yeah. Uh, Somebody. And and now I'm an advisor, right? So. you, you can, it's almost a pick your own adventure kind of career. Uh, and at the end of the day too, like uh, there's lots of different places to live too, right? right? I just came from super dry, hot, to super hot and super humid. So,
0: I know a little something about that.
3: Yeah, so I, I mean, if you're looking to join the military, this is, you know, I think the Army's the way to go um, and, and you can have a lot of fun in, in what you're doing.
1: I would say always seek to improve your position personally, organizationally, and Army-wise. So yeah. just keep pushing the envelope, try to learn something new. If you learned it, make sure the guy and gal to the left and right of you learns
3: it. Yeah,
1: yeah. keep paying it forward. Keep Pay it forward. it forward,
3: that's, that's it. All yep. right,
0: hey, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you guys personally, but also the team that you brought here, really professional uh, unit and a ton of fun. We learned a ton from you, thanks. Yep, uh,
1: appreciate, appreciate it. The thank you for joining us on the Crucible,
0: the JRTC experience.
2: The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https://linktr.ee/jrtc. Forward slash, forward slash, We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.